Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today, Katina has an article for us. Do you want to give us a little sneak peek? Yes. So I am going to be talking today about how couples manage their work and life. So a lot of the research has looked at just how you as an individual manage your work and life. This is how couples set up patterns for managing their work and life and how that impacts their ability to be resilient as a couple and how that impacts um, their ability to be committed to staying within their jobs. Interesting. See, this is super relevant um, right now for a reminder for everyone. We're recording this a few months out because our producer will be on leave at the time that this airs. Um, and we are still in quarantine for the coronavirus at this point. And I feel like balancing work and life right now is very unique and interesting. Yes. And couples probably get to play with that a little bit differently right now. So I'm curious yes. to hear about what couples are doing or what the research shows couples um, do and what might work and uh, go in from there. Yeah, it, I think um, the context that they studied in is like somewhat specific, but I think a lot of the behaviors will translate not only to other contexts, but also other sorts of setups for balancing work and life. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, that yes. will be interesting. Yes, it will. So how are you doing otherwise? I besides am reading doing this article? Good. <laughs> I'm doing good. Um, yeah, everything's good. I've been trying a new thing where I'm trying to get up early. Usually, you know, I sleep a little bit later in the morning, like until like 830 or nine o'clock. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm trying this new thing where I get up at like 530 or six and try to do like three hours of work before everyone else wakes up. Whoa, that's like really early. I thought you were gonna say like you wake up at like seven thirty, so you go like, but going five thirty or six—that's so early. Yeah, I'm trying to like get in three hours of work before anybody has any meetings with me. Wow, I've been doing it a few days this week, and it's been working really well. I'm getting a lot done. Oh, do you feel rested? I'm going to bed earlier, so uh -huh. instead of going to bed at like one, I'm going to bed at like eleven or ten thirty. Okay, so you're like just going to bed at like a normal human time. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you were always such a late, 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 late yes. person. So normally I would like go to bed at one and wake up at like 8.30. And now I'm going to bed at like 10.30 and waking up at 5.30. Wow. Well, that's going to be really rough for me when I visit you now. <laughs> Usually... <laughs> Usually when I sleep in at your place, I don't feel so yeah, bad because you're true. sleeping in too. That's true. Well, I don't know if I will continue it forever, but I am finding that having like a few hours, especially for writing purposes, mm -hmm. having like a few hours where like I'm not getting a bunch of like, a, like there's no like distractions. I'm like, cool. Right. No emails. Like get some things no out. No texts. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm actually, it's like almost 830 right now and I'm like, oh, maybe I'll go to bed in two hours. Ooh, nice. It's a brand that's new good. life. It's yeah, brand new that's life. that's quite a shift. I'm like impressed. I know. I know. I feel really like I felt I felt as if it might be better for me. Because in the night people still send emails, but in the morning people really don't. Hmm. People need to stop sending you emails when you're working later at night. They don't ever stop. <laughs> I think well, a lot of people are like on a on a similar schedule though where it's like people just get done whatever whenever and so like but I have, like, it's my own personal problem that I have, like, email issue, like, that I don't want to not, like, 
answer before I go to sleep. Like, if I could fix that issue, I'd be much better off in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm working on I'm working on creating healthier habits for myself. More balance. Practicing what yes. we're preaching. Practicing balance. <laughs> and how are things going for you? Good. Um, now I feel inspired. Like, maybe I should start my day earlier. No. I, you already start your day pretty early. It's not that early. Like... I'm usually logged on around 7, 7.30, depending on how yeah. sleepy I feel. I mean, it's early. It's definitely early. But um, I kind of have, like, this dream life of where I have a morning routine. Like, I don't know. You just hear about everyone and their beautiful morning routines. And I'm yeah. like, I don't have that. But I also don't like to wake up at 5 a.m. No. So I need to see... I need to figure it out because if I can make that work, I feel like I would be very happy having a morning routine and like, honestly, like going for a walk or a run early in the morning sounds really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then coming back and then starting the day. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'll get there because to the email point, I also don't enjoy getting a bunch of emails and not addressing them. And because I'm on the West Coast, my emails actually stop much earlier. Right. And I think, honestly, and also where I work, like, people are pretty good about not working really late. So if my boss on the East Coast is stopping working at 5, that's 2 o'clock for me. Right, So I've got, like, an afternoon where I can get more stuff done. Um, But in the morning when I wake up, I usually have a bunch of emails already because they're already awake. So. I kind of have the opposite problem where I feel like I never, when I wake, when I do wake up early, like when I just naturally wake up earlier than normal, I end up going and just working right away because I already got a bunch of stuff emailed to me in the morning. So I don't know. I'm not good at not looking at my email first thing in the morning. I'm trying to not do that, but I'm really bad. I'm trying to. It's really hard. Um, Mm -hmm. If anyone else out there is struggling with it, it is really hard. And I also think, like, the morning routine thing would be cool. But at the same time, like, I wonder how many people that, like, discuss their morning routine, like, legitimately do their morning routine. Like, do they do it, like, one day and Instagram it? Or, like, are they actually doing that routine every morning? Like, I, I'd like to understand more about that. Um, <laughs> Valid. That's that's a fair point. I do not know the answer to that. I don't know if people are actually doing it. And I think that there's something to be said if you – depending on your work situation, right? Like you and I are preaching lots of workplace wellness and we try to follow a lot of the things that we talk about, but we also love our work. And we've talked about this when we talked about entrepreneurs before. And sometimes it's hard to stop and not because we've got so much to do and we feel pressure and stress from other people, but because we like it and we want to get more stuff done. And so because we've got multiple hats that we're wearing, we've got full-time jobs, we've got worker being and all of this, I think that makes me want to do more stuff. Yeah. Um, Let me tackle, you know, my enforced stuff earlier in the day. I can do more worker being stuff when people have logged off for the day, things like that. Um, And then also... Yeah, there's just too many hats. And I think that, you know, if let's say, I feel like the people that have these morning routines on Instagram are the people that have their own business and they don't go into the office until 10. Right. (laughs) That's my, that's my assertion there. Right. You need some time to like, actually like, like they're not getting up at 5am to do their routine every day. Cause that like might not be as sustainable. Um, 
But yeah, or they just are morning people and then by the night, like their nighttime routine is like whatever. But I think it's like picking what's important to you, right? Like, um, so I generally have thought of myself as a person who sleeps late, but it's not, I just feel like I'm a person that needs like six hours of sleep at least. So it doesn't matter how I shift that around. So then I started thinking, oh, well, the reason that I sleep late is just because I go to bed late. And I just thought like, well, one issue that I'm having is like always feeling like I have to be responsive throughout the day and I have trouble getting interrupted and then like getting back in the flow of writing. So I think like something that's been making me happy is like being able to get like a bunch of, like I start the day and I'm like, okay, I got that done. Like that, I got at least... I got a chunk of something done that like maybe wouldn't have gotten done otherwise. And that makes me feel better about it. But like to me, like a morning routine, for example, like maybe that would be something like, it sounds like that's something like that you feel like would really help you. I've not been like attracted to that idea. So like, I feel like it's just like do whatever feels good. You know what I mean? Whatever Mm -hmm. like works for you. Um, Yeah. And, um, and maybe we can both try, like I'll try this and then maybe you can try a morning routine. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be nice for me, but I don't think it's going to be a very long morning routine. No. no. Like, I'm not going to get up and, you know, do an hour-long workout and then make a breakfast and then write in a journal and then do whatever. Like, no. It's going to be, like, a few minutes or maybe I'll take a walk or a workout. Yeah. Because that's just nice to be done with um, earlier in the day. Yeah. It's all the things that we talk about is, like, these are all things that you could do, but everybody needs to find the mix that works for them. Yeah. And I've been, um, I think I had talked about, what did I talk about? I talked about like Headspace before and how I like love their sleep casts and I've used that and like that's become a routine and actually, um, so this airs, I think well after the water bear planet interview. So yeah, go back to that if you are interested in learning more about what I'm about to say, but I've sort of transitioned from their sleep cast where they're telling me a story two evenings of using uh nature sounds without audio and so i feel like i've progressed in my mindfulness i know so i'm very proud of myself about that that is that is really good i'm so glad that's awesome very exciting well i have found that i also like nature sounds so maybe i should try that uh gw just gave all employees free headspace accounts Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really yes. awesome. Yes, it is. Um, we have LA County just got free Headspace accounts too. Like oh, everybody wow. in the county. But That's Headspace awesome. is in like their headquarters are in LA County. Right, so right, right. I, it's almost like just helping their community right now, I think is what they're doing, which That's is cool. That's cool. That's very yeah, cool. It's like a year of year free for LA County residents. That's awesome. That's so nice. Oh, thanks, yeah. Headspace. I know. Thank Good you. job, Headspace. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you, yay. Headspace. Thank you. <laughs> Research shows that you're good. Yes, it does. It does. All right. Well, let's talk about your article. Let's talk about couples. Yes. Talk about work-life balance, resilience, all the good things. Tell me, tell me. Okay. So this article is called, It Takes Three, Relational Boundary Work, Resilience, and Commitment Among Navy Couples. And it's by Christine Beckman and Taryn Stanko. And it was published in Academy Management Journal in 2020. Um, So basically, as I mentioned at the beginning, most of what we know about work and family research, we know some, and we've talked about on the podcast before too, we know some about like when one person in a couple um, 
is working really hard or is really stressed, that can spill over to their partner, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know we know a lot about like when I'm feeling um, stressed in my job or I feel like I have too much to do or I don't have time to do stuff, that impacts my own wellness. So we know some about like spillover effects and we know some about um, about how I individually um, manage my work-life balance. And then we also know some about how like how couples split tasks, for example, has something to do with their work-life balance. So if you're doing way more than what you signed up for, um, your work-life balance will feel out of whack and the way that you split that with your partner has something to do with that. What we don't know as much about is how like patterns of relating to one another in a couple make a difference in terms of predicting both the extent to which your couple is likely to be resilient towards like challenges in life and be able to that you will be able to continue to be a couple moving forward um <laughs> and also the extent to which uh that uh those patterns might have an impact on um your feelings of satisfaction and commitment to your actual job so we don't know as much about like what are the what are the like ways in which couples relate to one another on a daily basis that actually helps us to understand whether or not they're strengthened in their ability to stay in their job and strengthen their ability to like maintain to be a part of the family. That's so interesting. I mean, that's incredibly important. I feel like everybody knows that stress at home can lead to stress at work, stress at work can lead to stress at home. And I am kind of surprised as you're saying that, like, you're right. Like I haven't read any papers around how um, the couple can be resilient, how they work through things can impact you know how they feel about everything and all about the balance and how they're talking about balance how they're managing their balance and how they can get through challenges to that um effectively because it makes sense like you know that for anybody that knows anybody that's been divorced or gone through a divorce um or even a really bad breakup like that impacts not only your work-life balance in a lot of ways but also your work too yeah absolutely absolutely Um, yeah. And so this article basically looks at the way in which people kind of manage the boundaries between their work and life and how that has something to do with sort of patterns that get set up between people in coupled relationships. Um, and so, uh, they look at this through, um, the lens of a theory called family systems theory. Um, and family systems theory basically just looks at the ways in which relationships play a role in our lives. So interpersonal relationships, relationships that you might have within a particular group, like a church or a school, family relationships, organizational relationships, um, all of the things that you're doing over the course of your life that usually like we look at as an individual level, like how am I integrating my work in life or how am I segmenting my work in life um, can be put within the context of all these other sets of relationships that are important to us. So how I integrate or segment. Uh, so do I let work and life sort of bleed into each other? Do I create like very clear boundaries between them? All of those kinds of behaviors, we can look at them in terms of how does my practice of that impact my feelings, but they also have implications for people that are operating around us. So mm-hmm. family systems theory takes into account, not just the perspective of an individual, but looks at how do these behaviors affect the whole group? So yeah, it's that using that sense. theory, which is not popular in work family literature right now, which is um, an interesting way of looking at things. Yeah, it's a very broad way of looking at things and really yes. looking at um, everybody in that system. 
So I think that's an important note, right? Is like you were saying, it's really how does not only has it impact how I feel, but how does it impact everybody else? Yeah. So it's looking at that whole system and not just, you know, me as an individual and how I feel about certain things. Yeah, exactly. So they look at two specific ways that couples can relate to each other. And I'll tell you how that like plays out. But they look at whether or not the couple behaves cohesively is the first one. So do they operate as like two completely independent entities that don't really rely on each other for anything and they make very independent decisions and kind of like, you know, two ships in the night almost would be like the extreme of that, that um, couples are actually very separate and they're sort of people having two separate lives living in the same space. On the other extreme end of complete cohesion would be people who do every single thing together attached at the hip, can't get away from each other, can't make decisions independently, right? So um, couples with low cohesion are pretty independent and separate and couples with really, really high cohesion are extremely almost like codependent in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, The other pattern that they look at is what they're calling adjustability. I don't love the name of this, Um, (laughs) but they're taking it from this model that talks about all these different dimensions of relationships. And so... Um, One of those dimensions is called adjustability. And that's basically how do you balance stability and change? And how do you modify your role to account for the other person's needs? So um, if you think about it in terms of the day-to-day, it's like, am I able to um, adjust to the circumstances that are going on in a way that's um, appropriate. So if you're really high on adjustability, you're overly adjusting. So like you're just like erratic, like something happens and you're reacting. Another thing happens and you're reacting. Um, So high adjustability, although it sounds like it could be a good thing, is actually fairly negative. Like you just have no, you're like a weather vane that's just getting blown by the wind. Like Something happens and I'm reacting. Something happens and I'm reacting. I'm constantly adjusting to my circumstances in a way that, like, doesn't give me a core. Um, if I'm really low on adjustability, I'm very rigid um, in my relationship. So it's my way or the highway. I'm not changing. Regardless of what's happening with you, I'm not changing. Um, so cohesion and adjustability are the two main things that they're looking at here in terms of patterns of couples. And being really high or really low on either one Um ends up not being that great. Okay. And I get why you don't like the word adjustability. As you were talking, I'm like, what about flexibility? Yeah, like it's a- just a weird word. Yeah. I just don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> or it's um, it almost, uh, the way they're talking about it, it almost seems like reactivity. Because the mm. way they describe people who are very high on adjustability is like they're, they're reactive. Like you say something to me and I, uh, you know, you say an angry thing to me and I'm going to be, I'll meet your anger. You say a sad thing to me, I meet your sadness. Like I'm just very like boom, boom, bouncing around, right? Like Mm -hmm. all over the place. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, fun fact, we measure um, a personality characteristic at Infor called flexibility. And it sounds very similar to what Mm. you're describing, where it's like, if I'm really, really high on flexibility, I will roll with every change. But like so much that it doesn't matter what the change is. I'm just going to go for it because it's a change. Yeah. I'm going to do it. Woohoo. Um, and then on the low end, it's like what you described. Like just don't want any 
thing to change ever. Um, And in the middle is kind of that happy medium. So it sounds like this concept is somewhat similar where if you're really high on adjustability, you are reacting, adjusting constantly to a point where like maybe you shouldn't always be willing to change so quickly. Um, A low end to rigid middle is a little bit of a happy medium. Right. Exactly. Um, Yes. So they used in this study, the way that they looked at it was they studied 29 couples. Um, They did 58 in-depth interviews with each member of the couple. Um, And they basically uh, took a look at the extent to which these couples, um, how they felt about their relationships, how they shared roles, how they shared responsibilities. Um, They asked them about... um, thinking about uh, how they make household decisions, um, how they manage conflict. Um, So they asked them a bunch of questions basically about how they work together as a couple. And all of these couples were um, couples in which one of the people in the couple was in the Navy. And during the period of time that they were interacting in these interviews, the person was deployed. So they're picking a more extreme circumstance where you would really have to try to manage um, this kind of like how... Uh, flexible are we? How much cohesion do we have? So they tried to pick a circumstance that would really clearly highlight that. But I actually think some of the findings are more generalizable to regular settings as well. Um, And they also picked the Navy because uh, the Navy specifically gives, uh, which I thought was interesting, apparently specifically gives advice to people who are in the Navy about how to manage work and life. And they also do a training for spouses of people in the Navy for how they can best facilitate work-life balance for their partner. Um, and so, interesting. That is yeah, interesting. yeah, it's super, it was super interesting. And so they, um, they facilitate both or they basically promote um, both like setting boundaries and also communicating. Um, mm-hmm. So they, make it really important. They make it really clear that this, the family or the couple level of happiness, um, is, uh, is very important for someone's success in staying committed to being in the Navy. Um, and so they talk to them about like, you know, you should share your feelings and your thoughts and maintain an emotional connection. And like, you should at over the course of your, um, your time here, like, communicate a lot with each other and share things just like you were in person. Um, But then they also have a segment of the training where they tell them that um, if you go overboard and communicate too much, that's going to distract people and they're going to feel like they can't perform or they're always missing one of your messages and they're going to feel bad. And they also have these guidelines like if you're mad about something or upset about something, give yourself some time before you draft a message because you don't want to send a message to someone who's already stressed. That might be like a passing thought, but you don't actually need to air that like at this time, or maybe you would not want to make overblow the situation. So on one hand, they kind of tell people to sort of be permeable in their boundaries and like have a lot of communication and make it like you're in person. But then on the other hand, they say, well, but also given the circumstances, you should probably be careful about the content of the messages and also make sure that you're not overdoing it so the person feels like they can't attend to their work. So it's kind of an interesting context from a work and life perspective. That is so interesting. And I mean, it makes a lot of sense because I think this job is obviously, like you said, extreme in the sense that it's very high stress. People are gone for a long time. Um, 
there's a life or death situations frequently so it's not like uh just you know someone's going to the office to work on a computer like it's very right very different and I I very much appreciate that they provide some sort of guidance and training and to help people because I can imagine that selfishly if your spouse is not enjoying the Navy life then you might be pressured or feel like you need to leave the military um and then at the same time uh you know, so that the Navy is going to want people to stay. So that's a great way, a good reason to do that. But at the same time, it's also hopefully, hopefully there's a side that's really focusing on the wellness of people and having to deal with relationships from a distance is stressful and can make not only their work suffer, but just their mental health suffer even further. And it's already a mental health um, concern. Just the jobs that people are doing in general can create a lot of mental health issues. So Mm -hmm. just trying to address something earlier on before you get uh, couples really struggling, I think is really important and critical. So I'm, I'm pleased to hear that that is happening. I'm hoping it's working well. I don't know. Well, what did they find when they talk to these people? So basically what they found is that the best case scenario for you to be in basically if you want to have strong couple resilience and you want to maintain committed to the career that you care about and not feel compelled to leave because of family related issues is that you need to have a medium level of cohesion and a medium level of adjustability. Um, and I'll talk about why that's true. It's a, I gave like a little preview of it. Um, <laughs> so with regard to cohesion, um, when people experience really high cohesion, They're saying things like, you know, we're constantly communicating. We're always talking through email or telephone. I don't do anything without making a decision without that person. Um, Every little thing, like I want to get their input on. I want it to be like they're right next to me. I want it to be like they're right here with me. Um, If you're a person that needs, that feels so overlapping with your partner, um, you're probably not going to be as good at facing life's challenges together because while it's really good to have some level of dependence, it's also it can also have too much of a level of dependence where when you feel like your partner's work is taking them away from you, your emotional reaction to that is so overboard and both of your emotional reactions is overboard to that, that it actually makes people say like, well, you know what? I just can't do this job because I can't be with my partner as much as I want. Um, mm-hmm. So if you want to stay committed to your job and you also want to be able to face challenges successfully as a couple, it's actually not good to be so kind of, they're calling it high cohesion. It sounds a lot almost like codependence to me. Um, So if you're seeing those patterns in your relationship where, I mean, it's great. Like if you're in the beginning of a relationship, I feel like a lot of people are like, I don't want to think about anything without that person. I don't want to do anything without that person. But if you're continuing to feel like you can't do anything on your own, you like need their input all the time or like you're craving their attention all the time. Um, that becomes problematic down the line because there are challenges in life that end times where couples kind of have to suck it up and be able to say, well, we still care about each other, even if we can't be in each other's sight all the time. Um, and if that's the case, um, that you're, you're not able to do that, um, your, uh, resilience as a couple either goes down or your commitment to your job, either like something has to give basically, um, in that equation, either the job or the couple. Mm -hmm. Um, so Anyway, uh, the high cohesion is not good. And they also found that the low cohesion was not good. So couples that say things like, 
our daily lives are completely independent of each other's. We don't rely on each other to get through anything. Um, we're not dependent on each other to get through the day. Um, we have our own lives. We're like two independent people. Um, that she has her set of tasks. I have my set of tasks. Um, I'm looking at some quotes right now uh, from uh, one of the guys in the study. Um, and, you know, I don't think that we need to play a role in making decisions together. Like we each have our own sphere and that's fine. Um, in those situations, sometimes couples can start operating so independently that um, they grow apart and their ability to be resilient as a couple is not as good. Um, and also um, it can create some issues with commitment to the organization because sometimes if one person starts to feel resentful that they're operating so independently, so often in couples when they start to do these separate spheres, what they find is that one person felt more remorseful about that than the other person the other person might say, well, the reason that we're not getting along is because, or we're not spending time together is because of your job. So like, I need you to quit your job so that we can fix this issue. Right. That is so interesting. So I'm just like thinking about both extremes of cohesion and how both sound terrible to me. <laughs> so yeah. um, I guess it's a good sign for me in my relationship yeah. because yes. um, I like having a lot of independence but I also think it would be very weird if like we didn't do consult each other on anything or spend a maybe spend a ton of time together um but I also feel like that in the really like high end of cohesion it sounds like a lot like I like having my own space my own things and you know it's okay if Danny doesn't travel with me to visit you in DC all the time, right? Like right, <laughs> it just right. seems like a lot. So it's interesting. Just obviously I think everybody probably listening, if they're in a relationship is putting their relationship on that scale and trying to figure out where they are. Um, but it makes a lot of sense that the two extremes can become very problematic. And I think in other work environments as well, you know, if you're very uh, dependent on a person and, no matter what work they're doing, they're probably going to have to leave the house at some point to do something for the job. You know, even remote workers usually go to like some meetings or something in person every once in a while. Right. So if you have a a hard time with a person like being out of your sight for an extended period of time, it's going to become a challenge here and there um, regardless of your job. And I think the opposite is true on the, um, on the low end of the scale too, that if you're so independent, then eventually you just, you run in your own circles and at some point something's going to give and someone's going to be upset and something's going to have to impact either your job, your life, your relationship, something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's basically what it showed. So the moderate level is like, people would say things like the majority of things we can do by ourselves. Like if I'm the person that's responsible for getting groceries, I don't need to like, check in and say every single time I go get groceries, like, what do you want? What do you need? What do you want to eat? Like, what kind of milk do you want? Like, whatever. Like, that's like my domain and somebody else might have another domain. But for big things or for things that we've agreed that we want to consult each other on, we have conversations about. So it seemed like there was like ahead of time, they didn't say this, but it seemed like in a lot of the quotes, there was like ahead of time more communication in the moderate group where people were like, yeah, we both agree that there are big things that we want to consult each other on. But generally we remain independent on tasks that are more mundane, right? Um, So it's not like we, you know, feel like, okay, we need to go to the grocery store together and we need to do laundry together. We need to do this together. And we need to be like constantly on top of each other. Um, Or like, yeah, they have their thing and I have my thing. And like, 
maybe I'll go do a bunch of stuff and not tell them about it because that's just the way. And like, if they find out later about it and they're upset about it, that's fine. It's my life. Like I can do what I want. Um, but rather like consulting each other about, um, bigger decisions or at least having conversations about, um, what they consider to be a bigger decision versus not. Um, yeah. So that was the cohesion piece. And those conversations are probably so important in a deployment situation. So if you don't talk about what are the big decision things that need to be addressed as a couple before someone leaves and they're gone for months, then the spouse that's at home might feel like, well, I need this decision made and I'm the one at home, so I'm just going to do it, you know? Yeah. And Mm -hmm. if they don't know what things are going to upset the person or what things they want to be involved in, um, then you don't, you just, you just can't address it properly. So I think those conversations make a lot of sense um, because realistically the, the spouse that's at home is the one that's doing everything for the home life decisions. And you need to be clear as to what you think they can handle on their own. Obviously they can probably handle everything on their own, but if they, if you want to be involved in things, you need to be clear about that. And then the partner also, the spouse at home needs to be clear about what things would be too much for them to have to constantly go back to to the the person that's deployed yeah absolutely yeah and I think in normal life you know um if you're feeling like your relationship doesn't have a lot of breathing room or you're feeling like you're kind of two ships in the night um it might be time to think about moving more towards that moderate um window because over time um you have a lot of more difficulty facing challenges as a couple and that may come to a point where the couple has a conversation about maybe it's your work. Um, and, and that may cause you to feel pressure to leave a job that you really like, or you may end up resenting the job that you have that you currently like, because you view it as a reason that your, your relationship is struggling. Mm -hmm. That makes Um, sense. So the adjustability part. So if you're high on adjustability, like I said, you're kind of like a weather vane that's just getting like flopped around in the wind. So they have quotes like this. Um, So they're talking about deciding to sell a car. So he was like, well, I don't think it's a good idea to sell the car. So I said, "Um, I I also don't think it's a good idea. Then he said it was a good idea. And I said, I thought it was a good idea. And then I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to do it. But other times I try to suck it up and work it out with him. Or sometimes I let him have free reign and try to agree more than disagree. Other times I would disagree more than agree. So (laughs) they really don't have like a pattern that they're confused. Yeah, they don't. So it seems like these couples really don't have a pattern that they're in. They haven't figured out a way to um, come up with a consistent form of communication. And so if the person's in a bad mood, they might react by being in a bad mood. And then later they might feel badly about the fact that they reacted by being in a bad mood. So the next time they talk to the person's in a bad mood, they might be like more kind or whatever. And then the na- that person might be like, feeling good about the fact that they were kind to them. So then they're kind next time, but the next time they're in a bad mood and they like get angry at their partner. So it's just like this general reactivity to the situation. It seems that both partners are just sort of reacting and not being thoughtful about how their actions are impacting the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're kind of just like reacting to the situation. I would, without thoughtfulness, I would say is the high on adjustability, like the situation's kind of dictating how they're responding and they're not being thoughtful about being consistent or like having a thread. Um, or they're like, sometimes they're just like not sure why they're doing something. 
Um, they're like, yeah, sometimes I, like I'm trying all these different things. Sometimes I give it, I give them a list of things I want them to do. And then other things I forget, times I forget to give them a list. And then they ask me for the list, but then I feel bad because I didn't tell them that I was going to give, I didn't like make the time to make them the list. And then I get mad. Like, it's like, they have no like, uh, routines, I guess. Everything is like dictated by the situation. Mm -hmm. So that's high adjustability and that's bad. So that's, that just feels like, I don't even understand how you make a decision in a relationship about anything about the family or the home life when somebody is deployed at work in the Navy situation or even just anything in like if in a different situation when you're um, in your day-to-day life and different jobs and things like that, like how do you make any decisions if you're like that all the time? I feel like that's got to be a major struggle is around decisions around how to handle any situations. And it makes a lot of sense that some couples that are too high on this um, would struggle if they're facing any major challenges because there's, they're probably reacting every few minutes it changes as yes. to how they're addressing that challenge yeah and that's why people who are low on cohesion and high on adjustability get categorized as chaotic in this study <laughs> which is exactly <laughs> what you're saying um they are uh they are just a chaotic couple um they're all over the place and they're reactive to the situation um mm-hmm. they're categorized as chaotic but I'll get into that in a second. Um, so low levels of um, of uh, adjustability, people are not reactive, but the problem there is that they're very inelastic. So like I have things to do, you have things to do, and I'm not going to change anything about my schedule to accommodate your schedule. Or I'm not going to change anything about my routine to make things nicer to you. So like this one person said it was uh, her spouse's birthday and she said, you know, he's deployed. I sent him one of those emails, happy birthday things. But like, really, there's not much that I can do for his birthday. Like, I tried. I sent him an email. Whatever. Like, I'm not changing my routine. <laughs> Whereas other people in the paper, like, really went out of their way to, like, do really special things for the person and whatever. And she was just kind of like, I can't think of anything. And it takes too much time. I don't have time. Bye. Um, and then, uh, like, you know people really digging their heels in like it would be great if you could talk to me at night instead of at in the morning for example because of the way my work schedule is and the person's like no I that doesn't work for me I can't Mm -hmm. so they would have a lot of like communication issues and other kinds of issues because the person was being so rigid um or both people were the couple got into a pattern of rigidity where they just kind of both dug their heels in um whereas the moderate groups talked a lot about adjusting on the fly not in a way that was like reactive, but rather a thoughtful, like, well, generally we talk every night at 8 p.m. But if the person texts me in the middle of the day and says that's not going to work, I'll make an adjustment to my schedule to make sure that we still talk once that day. Um, or, you know, generally I manage the bills and generally, you know, he does whatever. Um, but, you know, if he asks to pay a bill or he feels strongly about us changing a service that we use and not paying the same bill over and over again, I'll listen to that and change up something about my routine in light of their feedback. So moderate, again, is helpful in this case. Right. So you're flexible when required, when necessary, when it makes sense for the the good of the couple, but you're not just willy-nilly bouncing around based on your mood. Yes. You have, you have a normal routine 
that's been agreed upon. And you generally spend some time together, but you also are comfortable in your independence is basically if you get to that point as a couple, you're more likely to be resilient and you're more likely than to support your spouse and you feel more, you feel better about yourself um, in terms of pursuing the career. So if I'm the person in the career, I feel better about pursuing the career. And if I'm supporting the spouse, I'm fully cognizant of the challenges that might be faced by whatever kind of job it is. If you're just in a normal situation, you're just working really long hours, you travel a lot or whatever. Um, but I'm not saying to my partner, like, I can't deal with this. You need to quit this job. Yeah, that makes sense. So it makes a lot of sense that if you have that good balance, you've got the support of the other person, the other person can still have their independent career and work goals and um, not have it be changed or dictated based on whatever is going on at that moment. So it makes a lot of sense that all of that, that balance between cohesion and, oh gosh, I already forgot it, adjustability. Yes, adjustability. <laughs> um, adjustability. Uh creates a better environment so that not only is a couple resilient and better off as a couple, but then they're also better off in their work environments as well. Yes. So the very last thing that I'll say, just for people who are listening and wondering like, well, what kind of a couple am I? I'll give you uh, the quadrants that they put people in. Um, so as I mentioned before, if you're both low on cohesion and high on adjustability, so you're reactive and you don't like to do stuff together, you're both low on resilience, your couple's not the couple's not going to do very well overcoming challenges and you're going to be low on commitment to the organization. Um, you're going to feel like our relationship's having problems and we need to point fingers at what those problems are. So let's start with the job. Basically, mm -hmm. if you're in a situation where you're moderately cohesive, but also highly adjustable. So you're very reactive and you're, but you're, you have a decent amount of cohesion that reactivity leads you to have a uh, lower resilience as a couple, but you don't go to the point where you're telling the person that they need to leave their job. So your organizational commitment's okay. Um, if you are high on cohesion, but you have a good level of adjustability, so you have a routine, um, but you're just on top of each other all the time, that's called enmeshed. And enmeshed people, their couple survives or their couple's more resilient but they are more likely to tell the person or to feel like they need to leave the job because they are codependent. So any job that takes you away from me is not good. So your mm -hmm. commitment goes down, but as a couple, you're generally likely to survive. Um, the last one that has some downsides to it is rigid, which is you're low on adjustability. Like I don't want to make any changes for you and you're low on cohesion where ships in the night. That's called rigid and rigid people both don't do well as a couple and have lower commitment to the job because eventually usually someone gets upset about the lack of uh, flexibility and the, the lack of any interaction and uh, they start to point fingers at the job. And then as we've been talking about the whole time, if you've got moderate levels of both, you're in a cell that's called balanced and balanced individuals have stronger resilience and they also have higher commitment. That makes a lot of sense. So those balanced yeah. folks are what you got to strive towards. Yes. Um, what adv advice do you have for people? Is there something that like couples should do or I mean it sounds like the Navy's already training people around this kind of topic area is there something organizations should be doing you think to help couples yeah I mean I think that as people are starting to think more about the family unit instead of just an individual as uh, an intervention point for work and life um 
I think that it's important to have resources available for employees. Like, you know, right now, a lot of companies that are like really on the up and up with uh, wellness, they might have counselors or people that you can talk through um, on site or at least resources to point people in that direction. Um, and maybe just like having some resources about what are healthy patterns in couples and what are unhealthy patterns in couples. And if you hear someone saying like, that they want to leave their job or they're thinking about leaving their job because of their spouse being unhappy, that you might be able to point them in those resources or maybe share like, oh, well, we felt like that before in the past and here's how we've coped with it. And use this research to sort of guide the conversation that two things that seem to be really important are, well, what's your level of dependence like? Like, um, are you feeling like, like, so questions could be, you know, are you feeling like you're just not communicating? Are you feeling like you're you're constantly communicating and maybe you are over-reliant. Um, you know, is it that you are, uh, you know, when you're communicating with each other, are you being thoughtful? Do you have a pattern? Do you have a routine? Um, so asking those kinds of questions about like, do you have a routine? Um, and also, you know, are you feeling like, you know, how's your communication in terms of how frequently um, you're communicating can give you a sense of maybe what some of the issues might be. And you might be able to like just share we talked a lot about the importance of leader sharing. So you might be able to share some personal things from, um, you know, obviously appropriately personal, but personal things from ways that you've coped with challenges and sort of push your employees in the direction of at least thinking about some of these things. Um, and just having it on your radar that the way that the couple operates actually has an impact on whether or not your employee wants to stay in the job. And thinking about when you're doing these kind of work family interventions, like in what ways can you involve the family? Um, is it just centered around the employee and acting like the employee is the only entity? Or can you provide resources for people where they can learn really how to balance those relationships or manage those relationships in a better way? So I would say it's like step one is opening leaders' eyes to the idea that there's someone else involved in this equation than just the employee that's in front of you. Mm -hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense because it's so easy to just think about the employee alone and helping that one person. But if you don't help everybody in the family unit, there, I mean, the negative things that are happening there is going to impact that employee. So it makes a lot of sense to at least recognize that first and then figure out how it makes sense to address it. And from a business perspective, I think it is challenging. Like there's privacy concerns, there's all sorts of things. Um, but even just providing proper resources, um, communication channels, just so people can feel comfortable being open about stuff with you. Uh, I think all those things can be very helpful. And just starting to get that conversation going and even just talking to your team, like even if you don't think it makes sense from a privacy perspective or a legality perspective to try to intervene in the household um, with like a really formal program or something, I think anytime you're talking about work-life balance, making sure that you acknowledge that there's these other things that are impacting the person and making sure that they know that that's going to impact how they feel on the job and how they feel towards their work. And um, so that the employee that maybe hasn't listened to the show and read this article can at least understand that, oh, I have to think about it from a bigger picture too. I have to think right. about how I can fix that relationship because that's impacting my work. Because I think it's really easy to think about how my work is negatively impacting my family but I do think that we often miss the story that we're talking about here where the couple or the family unit can really impact the work. And so yeah. making sure that you're clear in your own situation, which is it? Is it both? 
or is one impacting the other more? And if it is the family unit, what can you do to become a more resilient family unit? Yeah. And I think, you know, I think those are really, really good points. And I think as long as you're being appropriate, you know, in you're not going to be like, well, how's your marriage doing or whatever. But if someone comes to you and says, you know, my my partner or my spouse is, you know, really unhappy with where we are or what the job is like or they're upset that I'm away all the time, you know, just giving some tips of like, well, what's helped for me is to try to find a routine and like agree upon things or What's helped for me is to try to decide what we can be independent on and what we really need input from each other on or whatever, just to try to give that kind of advice that's not, you know, over the line, but may help nudge them in the right direction to just start thinking about um, the patterns that their relationship has fallen into. And it seems like it really comes down to like communication, consistency, um, and, you know, having a plan um, and and being able to deviate from that plan when when needed, but that you're not sort of flying by the wind or sticking to your plan to a negative degree. Yeah. And if you feel super awkward about talking about that, just send them this podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then when they hear me suggest that, they'll know exactly why that happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but they'll have to listen to the whole thing until they get to the end. And then they'll be like, dang it. Now I realize. <laughs> it was all a ploy. Oh, man. it's funny. Well, thank you so much for reading this article. I thought it was really good. Very detailed. Um, I'm sure there's even more in there than we could talk about today, but I'm glad we tackled this topic. It's really interesting and I think relevant for a lot of people out there. Yep. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Great. And we'd love to hear from you listeners. Please reach out. You can contact us at contact at workerbeing.com. You can find us on social media on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at workerbeing and on our website at workerbeing.com. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer and produced by Allie Johnson. Oh.